this morning, we are going, we are two weeks out from concluding our series in the book of Proverbs that we've been calling Wisdom's Way. And these last two weeks, we're going to be talking about two different facets of the same subject, which is Wisdom's Way with our words. All right? Uh, this, this week, we're going to be looking at the negative side of that, which is what are the things that we say that we ought not to say? And next week, Pastor Ryan is going to close us out with what ought we to say? What are the things we need to say even when we don't feel like saying anything at all? But this morning, we are going to address this topic. It has huge significance in the book of Proverbs, as we'll see. But before we dive in, let's just pray together. Father, it's a humbling thing to be standing here, to be talking about your word, to be considering our words. And so I pray that even as we sit here before we open your word together, that you would make your word resonate with our hearts in such a way that we understand what it is that you want to do with our lives, that we would be open to the voice of your Holy Spirit convicting and challenging and also encouraging and exhorting us. I pray, Lord, for my words, that if any words that I speak are just not of you, that they would completely fall on deaf ears and that none of that would be taken with us today, but that your word would penetrate our hearts, that we would experience your spirit speaking to us this morning in a way that leads us to praise you and worship you and changes us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so again, two weeks on the subject of our words. The stakes are pretty high. There's one study that suggests that the average American speaks about 700 times per day. 700 times. Some of you are like, yeah, I know that person. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's me. So let's say, like, that's a little exaggerated, that's, like, hyperbolic. Let's just cut that in half, okay? 350 times per day. For those of us who can use our words, obviously some people cannot, they are mute, but for those of us who can use our words to speak, 350 times per day. What else do you do that many times in your day? Nothing, right? Some of us, like, not to go to the bathroom, maybe eat a couple snacks. I eat lots of snacks every day. But just like Pastor Ryan shared with us last week, the book of Proverbs is inviting us to see that last week, not only does our wealth or our money give away our way, or is a barometer for our lives, our words also give away our way. They are a barometer of our lives, the things that we say. Very little else has the power to shape the outcome of our lives like the words that we speak or like the ones spoken to us. So today we're looking at the negative side, which is the wisdom that we need to have about the incredible power that words have to do harm. Wisdom in what not to say. Wisdom in refraining from speaking at all and the necessity of what the Bible calls taming the tongue. And next week, uh, Pastor Ryan will look at the positive side of words, what it looks like to have wisdom when we need to speak up, even when it's hard to do. But I know some of you are probably skeptical, like right off the bat. Maybe those of you who are new to the whole church thing, just want to assure you, no, I don't have a list of bad words you're not allowed to say. Okay, that's not what this is going to be. 
Um, I'm not, it's not going to be like four-letter words, off the table, let's pray, we'll go home. But in our, in our house, that's like a real deal right now. Not four-letter words, but just like potty language, which is like what you call it in kindergarten. Our son, our, his teacher kind of like communicated with us and it's like, he's been using a lot of potty language in the house. And it's probably because he's reading Captain Underpants books. But then, like, I have to pretend it's not funny when he says Professor Poopy Pants, um, which absolutely is funny. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, it's not just about what words we ought to say and which ones we ought not to say, although it's good to think about that. But Proverbs gets us to think about the intent of our words and even the timing of our words. Proverbs 27, verse 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Some of you are like, I know that person too. (laughs) This is saying you could be walking down the street and you see your neighbor like probably before they've had their coffee, and you say, hey, how are you? Hope you have a great day. And what all they hear is like, beep, 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 beep. They're like, Do not talk to me right now. Words have consequences. The way we speak our words have consequences. When we speak our words have consequences. Even when you don't realize anyone is listening to you. There was a cautionary tale I came across while uh, studying. A friend told me of the story of, there was a woman who was at a, a tech conference several years ago, and she overheard somebody telling kind of like a crass, sexist joke about technology. I will not tell you what it was. Um, And she proceeded to tweet about it. And she had kind of a public platform in that community. And she took a picture of the guy who said it. And then she got an airplane. When she got off the plane, that guy had lost his job. And she had lost her job as well. In a matter of hours. Just because of a tweet. Like, amazing. So, Not only do we have to worry about what our tongues say, nowadays, because of technology, we're talking about text as well. Technology has only amplified this issue. Each advance in technology creates sort of a distance between the source of our words and the impact that they have. So we go from the spoken word to the written word, from the written word to the printing press, to mass-produced media, billboards, radio, television, email, text message, and now social media, none of these things being inherently bad, but just magnifying and amplifying and creating a lack of consequence between the original source of our words, which is our hearts, and their impact. This is the phenomenon that we've been experiencing over the last few years of people getting canceled for something that they've said years ago when they have a public platform and it's discovered that they said something objectionable. There's this distance that it creates. And we know that words can have consequences. We know that their impact stretches beyond the intentions that we have when we speak because everyone here has been on both sides of damaging words. Most people who are in therapy today discover that the trajectory of their lives was in some part determined by a harmful word spoken to them or about them. Some of you have had that experience. So maybe the phrase should be, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words penetrate to the very depths of your soul or something like that. (laughs) 
I think that's probably how it should go. But why? Why do we need to get this right? Why is it, if you think about it, why is it that a movement of our mouths producing a sound wave through the air can have such a life-altering impact? Proverbs shows us how high the stakes are. This is probably the, the verse that I want us to think and meditate on the most. If you haven't already followed our Bible, Bible reading plan this week, this came out of it. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Like we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, the core of wisdom brings us back to the very beginning of the Bible, to a garden with trees and fruit. This is tree of life language, like we've seen throughout the book of of Proverbs. Wisdom is depicted as this tree of life, bringing sustenance to the world, bringing growth. And the story of the Garden of Eden is here replayed through our words. The first chapters of the Bible set up this paradigm of how powerful words really are. It was through words that God decided to create everything, even life itself. He said, let there be blank, and there was blank, light, life, you name it. There's actually a a philosophical linguistic concept called speech act theory, which is something that philosophers talk about today, where words are not just sounds going through the air, they actually do things. You do things with words. So the words of God are powerful speech acts because God's words always do the things that he intends for them to do. And we, humanity, we were made in the image of God And the way that we most reflect God in the world is our ability to do stuff with our words, to give life. And Genesis tells us that after Adam was created by God, the first thing that he did in the garden is to reflect God by using his words to name all of the creatures that God brings before him. And it was, just flip over the next page, it was through words that death also came into the world. Adam and Eve were duped by the words of a serpent, and death entered the world through the power of words, and now our words also have the power to bring death. The Bible says that their eyes were opened to their nakedness, so they hid and covered themselves with fig leaves. No one told them to do that. They just knew that they felt like they had to do that because of their shame, and in the same way, When God asks them, where are you? And asks them about everything that happened. Adam and Eve's defense of their sin to God comes in the form of blame shifting. They attempt to cover their guilt and their shame and their fear with the fig leaves of their words. In other words, self-preservation becomes the hallmark of what we're trying to accomplish with our speech. Rather than bringing life, which is what they were meant to do, we attempt to save our lives, to save our skins, which means that the lives of others become expendable in our survival. 
all of the traps that our tongues walk into are symptoms of this self-preservation project. Instead of bringing life with our words, we try to preserve our own lives and then endanger the lives of others. So today we are going to look at the traps of our tongue, we're going to look at taming our tongues, and we're going to look at training our tongues. So first, there are four main traps that we walk into with our tongues. And there are so many proverbs about words that we can't quite even do justice to it in these two weeks. There are about 90 proverbs that tell us how to speak, which is the only other topic that rivals this in the book of Proverbs is what we looked at last week, which is money. But we're going to highlight four of the most common traps for our tongues. And just to prepare you, this is, this is kind of heavy, um, but we need to sit with each of these to consider the impact that each one of these traps has on our lives when we fall into them. So the first one, the first trap is lies. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. This lies, lying, is probably the most obvious symptom of our self-preservation project that we use our words to do. Why do we lie? To protect our reputation. When our well-being is at risk, in that split second, we make this cost-benefit analysis and we search for the quickest way to hide the truth from others and sometimes even from ourselves. And it takes so much energy to maintain lies, and after a while, if you lie to this person and to that person, you can't keep it straight, and so you have to remember that your lies. And pretty soon we begin to believe our own lies, and our entire existence can become this fabricated reality where we're not sure who we are with one person versus another person and our integrity is compromised. And if I can be honest with you, and I've been honest up until this point, but specifically on this, this is probably the one that throughout my life I've struggled with the most. Uh, at, there, at one point in my life, you could probably have considered me a compulsive liar I would lie, like, for absolutely no reason whatsoever. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I wanted somebody to see me in a certain way, so I would say, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've done that. I've been there. I totally have heard of that really cool band that you just mentioned right now. Um, yeah, that song, you know, the one that goes, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, totally. Uh, my... I was trying to think of the most embarrassing one, and I'm pretty sure I found it. Um, I, there were a few friends that were becoming really good friends of mine from, from my summer camp uh, that I would go to every year. And I, because they were camp friends, I could lie to them about anything that happened at school. Uh, I lied about being on the high school football team. The amount of laughter that just happened makes me really uncomfortable that you think that I would not have done that, okay? Um, but it was, it was not true. I, I had never stepped foot onto a football field. I just liked 
getting these people that I respected to see me that way. And after a while, we were becoming really close friends. It had been a couple of years since that initial lie, and it came up when we were at dinner one time. Oh, Isaac's been on the football team. And I, in that moment, I was like, I care about these people way too much to keep this going. And by God's grace, I was able to dismantle that lie in that moment. And they were just like, it, it would have been, in my mind, that was going to be the end of our relationship. It was over. Like years of this like fabricated reality just coming apart at the seams. And they were just like, that was stupid. <laughs> like, why would you lie about that? Um, as George Costanza says, it's not a lie if you believe it, right? <laughs> but lying is the way that we most obviously do damage to our identity as the image of God, right? God is truth. There is no lie within him. We were made in his image. And Jesus actually says that lying is the true nature of the being that we call Satan, the enemy, that when we, are, we lie, we, we look more like him than we do like God. John 8, verse 44, he's talking to religious leaders and he says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we are completely obstructing the fact that we were made in God's image and God is truth. Pastor Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, effective lies are those that include the greatest possible amount of truth and yet still deceive. Lying is fundamentally a lack of love. Every lie uses rather than loves a person. By keeping the truth from them, you put them in a dependent posture and exploit them. There is no such thing as a harmless lie. And some of us need to hear this today because for some of us, we are actually in professions that require us to tell these really little lies, to talk something up, to make it seem more attractive or interesting or, or beautiful or powerful than it really is. And we need to consider what is God calling us to do? If we really believe that lying is not of God, that it is completely antithetical to being made in the image of God, why would we accept a position that includes that as part of the job description? The second trap that we fall into could be called babble, or in other words, being too quick to speak. Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This is the kind of trap walked into by somebody who has made up their mind about a person or about a situation before they've learned anything. Whatever paradigm for understanding the world, whatever worldview already exists within their own mind, they've determined is sufficient for understanding any new situation or person that they come across. So they already have an opinion formed about the situation and they are ready to tell you before you even ask for it. 
Now, this can either be somebody who just incessantly talks like they won't shut up, or also somebody who is quick to disagree and start arguments for no other reason than the sake of starting an argument. In other words, uh, I like to say they suffer from foot-in-mouth disease. Um, how does this happen? How, how does the internal disposition of somebody begin to be formed in such a way that they just completely spout off. Ironically, this happens probably more often to educated and experienced people than people that we would consider foolish or stupid. People who are educated and experienced tend to sometimes lack empathy. They think they already know. The poet John Donne says it well. He says, who are a little wise the best fools be? How often do we create problems simply by speaking before listening? The first thing that people tend to make conversation about when they don't know somebody or when they feel uncomfortable walking into a new situation is what? The appearance of somebody else. Have you experienced this where somebody just makes a remark about something that you're wearing today or something that's changed about your, your body or your hair? And it's like, you didn't need to say that. Pregnant women are probably the, the most vulnerable in this sense. My, my wife is a labor and delivery nurse, so when I was talking to her about this, she was like, oh, pregnant women all day. Somebody walks up to you and say, are you having twins? Uh, no. Are you sure? Because my mom had twins, and I, this is exactly what she looked like. She was that big. Just, are you kidding me, right? <laughs> we make remarks about people's experience, or their, their appearance, and pregnant women probably have the most noticeable and remarkable thing that can be observed without actually knowing anything about them. Why do we do this? Mostly out of fear and insecurity. We are uncomfortable, which leads us to search for ways to connect with people by creating a sense of artificial familiarity. We want to skip the part of relationship building where we actually expend effort getting to know somebody and just like fast forward to where we're comfortable in this situation. And this is why we crack jokes, right? To break silence and awkward tension. And we turn every topic into an opportunity to talk about ourselves because we're way more comfortable talking about ourselves. It can be harmless, but like Proverbs says, it can also be foolish. Some people do this because they need to feel superior or knowledgeable about a specific topic. Like we, we feel people's eyes turn to us to look to have something to say about a given topic, something meaningful to contribute to the conversation. Like, well, yes, of course you should invest in Bitcoin right now because I, I know about that. Um, or something else we have no idea about whatsoever. And Proverbs tells us that when we do this, it is our folly and our shame. <laughs> because the irony about somebody who spouts off, who, who won't be, be quiet and listen, is that this self-preservation tactic only comes back to hurt us in the end. The goal of Babel is to get others to see you in a positive light, but it only ends up trivializing everything that we say. Some of us need to consider whether that is a trap that we fall into. The third trap is cynicism. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
26 verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Carelessness with our words. Carelessness can also take the form of biting cynicism. And you know what I'm talking about. You know the person in your life who has no genuineness in their words. Every time they open their mouth, you can feel the destructive impact of what they say. Everything is negative commentary. Nothing is being taken seriously. Trying to demonstrate a level of detachment from having to care about anything or anyone. Now, this often takes the form of sarcasm or pointing out absurdity in life or somebody who may, may just be like quick-witted and so they're like, oh, that person's funny, I'll listen to them. This, this is the currency of our talk in our day and age, especially on social media. We, we praise people for having the ability to see what's really going on in a situation and uncover it and then we platform them. We say, I want to listen to you more. And the people who do this better and more frequently than anyone are comedians, right? They are our cultural prophets. They can point out how absurd life can be sometimes. And they can, they can like deconstruct the thing that we all take for granted and see it in a new light. And then we feel silly for having believed it in the first place. But that's it. That's all this type of talk does. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's really important and crucial to do what comedians do and to do what, what the prophets and the scriptures do, which is to uncover lies, uncover hypocrisy. And this sort of thing is essential for a society, but this has become the vernacular of most conversations today, especially public conversations. Cynical speech is like a surgeon who leaves the operating room before stitching up the body. Our, our generation, and you know this, our generation has become so good at diagnosing the problems in the world without offering any solutions about how to make them better. And then, okay, what happens? What happens after we say those things or after we listen to those things? Somebody might get offended, right? And then you go, what? It's just a joke. You can't take a joke? Are you kidding me? Why do we do this? Some of us, this is, this is our, like, this is our vernacular. Some of you, you know, you have friends like this. We, some of us have been seriously damaged by being on the receiving end of this type of talk, maybe from a parent, from somebody who always talks down to us. You can never really trust what, what they're saying is genuine. We do this because we want to create distance between ourselves and the impact of our words out of fear. Fear of being seen as weak or naive or stupid. And Proverbs says that these words are like thrusting a sword through somebody that you're talking to. These words that are spoken without connection to their impact have the potential to be as damaging as a deadly weapon regardless of what you intended. And we isolate people and we prevent ourselves from meaningfully caring about anyone or anything when we give way to the trap of cynicism. 
The final trap that we fall into is possibly the most damaging, specifically for the church, and that is gossip. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Chapter 26, verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. We love gossip. It tastes good. It tastes good to receive the trust of another person in the form of inside information. When we do this, when we scandalize somebody else with our words, or when we listen to scandal being dealt towards somebody else, it's placing the spotlight on them and off of ourselves. Again, self-preservation. Others taking the fall for us so we don't have to think about what's wrong with our own lives. And this is, again, both for the speaker of gossip and for the listener. Gossip is unique because it is indulged in both by the person speaking it and in the person who tolerates listening to it. Proverbs 17 verse 4 doesn't let them get off the hook either. It says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. And there tends to be always somebody or a few people within a community who enjoys being the one that people come to in order to share their frustrations and their bitterness. And we who listen, we think we're doing a service to that person rather than redirecting that kind of talk to the person who needs to hear it in order to bring reconciliation, sometimes we like to be the shoulder to cry on because it makes us feel important. And this can sometimes become even a bigger issue than gossip itself. And we're going to get more next week into what you ought to do, what you ought to say when things like this happen. But for now, it's enough to say, what if we just said, time out, when we're hearing gossip, let me, let me pray for you to have the courage to talk to the person who needs to hear this. Gossip in, in most communities nowadays is seen as a very tiny sin. It can almost be unnoticeable, but it can destroy a community of people in a way that even something like adultery can't. It only takes two people to break a community. One person to spread gossip and another person to tolerate it. If we had a barometer when we were listening to gossip, or if we were about to say something about somebody who is not in the room, and we could say, I would say this if he or she were here. How much drama would be saved by asking this question of yourself in the midst of talking about somebody not in the room? Gossip can also take the form of what the Old Testament calls grumbling or murmuring. And this is when something isn't going right and somebody feels that it's not going right, and so they say to the person next to them, you know, something's not right. Um, I'm not really happy about this. And then it just grows from there and gets amplified. And in the Old Testament, Moses brought the people of Israel out from the land of Egypt and where they were in slavery, 
And then they had to wander in the wilderness for years and years and years. But just at the very beginning of their time in the wilderness, they started to run out of resources. They started to run out of water and out of food. And it says that the people started to grumble against Moses and against God. And the way that it happened was they ran out of resources and they said, wasn't it better when we were in Egypt, when we had plenty of food to eat, when we had garlic, when we had onions? (laughs) This is like their delicacies. When they had leeks, right? And so they said this to Moses, who had just led them out from slavery. We want to go back. And can you imagine how Moses might have felt in that moment? The, the grumbling that had poisoned the community to actually believe that slavery was better than having been rescued? This is another way that gossip can permeate a community. If something's not going right, if something's not up to your standards, and you start to tell other people about it, and you say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if this was happening or if this wasn't happening? That is poisonous. How difficult is it to live in a community with people exhibiting these kinds of of traps, these four things. And yet, friends, this is exactly what we're called to do. Pastor Ryan mentioned last week uh, the definition of righteousness in the book of Proverbs is to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage others. With our words in Los Angeles, are you kidding me? Disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of others We don't know anything about that here. What kind of community would it look like if that was actually true? We need to see, we need to consider how we are falling into these traps ourselves. What do we need to do to avoid them? The New Testament talks about something called taming the tongue. And the New Testament writer James is obviously reading the book of Proverbs as he writes his letter to the early church in Jerusalem. He, he talks about this specific application of our words. How can you tame your tongue in order to live together in community, in the family of God? James chapter 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should become teachers my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Stop there for a second. That's terrifying. And I just want to let you know, like tongue-in-cheek, no pun intended, um, I do not take that lightly. None of the pastors of this church take that verse lightly, and we can see around us in our society a whole bunch of examples of people who have not considered what James has to say before becoming teachers. And we are experiencing the incredibly destructive impact of that right now as people's ministries are folding and crumbling because of what they've said or because of the hypocrisy of what they've said and their actions don't live up to it. I do not take this lightly, and I just want you to know that. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways, amen. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man or a perfect woman, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This connection here is explicit. Whatever happens with your tongue happens with your life. Your words give away your way. There are two metaphors that he gives us. What is the tongue like? It is a bit in the mouth of a horse and a rudder on a ship. This very small entity that steers the whole direction of your life. But lest you think that the issue can just be fixed by steering yourself in the right direction, he takes it further. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. A forest fire burning out of control, gossip, lies. These types of speech spread like wildfire. The social impact of our words, mostly in hypocrisy, I think is what he's talking about here. We use our words to bless God and to curse others made in his image. There's the connection back to the creation story again. We were made in the image of God. Our words were meant to bring life, not death. And then he finally shows us how deep the issue goes. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is how deep the issue goes. It's not just about your words or your tongue, the problem is the source of our words. One source of water can't produce two different kinds. One species of tree can't produce the fruit of another species. This is impossible, but this is not a problem we can fix just by changing our habits to fix what we say. Jesus presses further into this idea and shows us what is really going on in Matthew chapter 12. This is what he says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Speaking to the religious leaders, he says, you brood of vipers, you snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Out of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. It is not just about learning wisdom with our speech. We need a new heart. Jesus brings us once again back to the Garden of Eden where everything went wrong with a tree and its fruit and snakes making things that were supposed to be good no longer good. And Jesus is saying that all these traps that we explored, lies, gossip, babbling, cynicism, and even more, even these are not the main problem. They are signposts to what is going on within each one of our hearts where we find fear and pride and shame and bitterness. But Jesus isn't like a surgeon who just leaves the table on the operating room table. Jesus speaks words of conviction and challenge, but then brings words of life. The book of John says that he is the word made flesh. He is the image of the invisible God and he absorbs the power of the death that we bring through our words, through his life that was sinless and perfect when he went to the cross and people spoke words over him that said, crucify him so that he can speak life to us. When he was being falsely accused and condemned, the only person who could have spoken up and given a righteous account of his life, being innocent, he did the one thing that none of us would have done. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He did not preserve himself. He gave himself up. He went to the cross to bear the weight of our death-soaked words so he could speak life to us again. This is what a pastor, uh, Pastor Ray Ortland Jr. says about this. He says, on the cross, Jesus loved us so much that his sacrifice deleted the damning record before God of every foolish word you and I have ever spoken. He took the divine condemnation for our lies, insults, gossip, put-downs, bragging, false promises, and griping, as well as our guilty silence when we should have spoken up. He took it all onto himself and hit the delete button. Look at him on the cross, dying for what you and I have said and left unsaid. See him there, trust him, and you are finally free of it all forever. Friends, this is good news. Think of all of the things that you have spoken, the destructive words, the things you wish you could have taken back, the destructive things that have been spoken over you by others. Jesus paid for all of those. And what do we need to do? The Apostle Paul tells us with our words and with our hearts, there's something that we have to do to respond to this. He says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, there's the mouth-heart connection, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
Our words confirm the change that God brings, that only God can bring in our hearts. We receive the gospel afresh and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. For those of us who have never said that before, today, that is an opportunity ahead of you. The same mouth that we have that spoke insults to our creator is now cleansed to serve God with a renewed heart. Because if Jesus is Lord, then finally we can train our tongues. If we try to clean up our words without a renewed heart, we are simply cleaning the spigot of a polluted source of water. But if our hearts are made new by the gospel, our words can be trained. Briefly, instead of lies, we can speak truth. Proverbs 12, verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Mark Twain is famous for saying, by telling the truth, you don't have to remember anything. (laughs) Doesn't that sound amazing? (laughs) Instead of babbling, listening. Proverbs 10, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We can know that the more you know, the more you don't know. We can have the ability to be told that we are wrong or that there's a better way to do something and have that not completely shatter us. We can have the ability to pause before we give somebody an answer, giving us time to formulate a better response or even listen to God in a moment where we're not exactly sure what to say rather than just spout off. Ask God to direct our words. Instead of cynicism, we can have curiosity. Proverbs 10, verse 14, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. This is referring to somebody who actually wants to know what's going on in a situation, so they ask good questions. They want to know what's going on in a person they don't understand, in a situation they've never been in before. Those of you who have seen uh, the show Ted Lasso, you know that great scene where he's playing darts with that terrible man, and uh, he quotes Walt Whitman and says, better to be curious than judgmental. Asking good questions rather than thinking you already know what a situation is about. The humble disposition of the heart allows us to not assume that we understand people and have a desire to be moving towards others with genuine questions and curiosity. And finally, instead of gossip, we can have restraint. Proverbs 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. To know when not to speak is just as wise as having the perfect thing to say. Especially when our reputation is on the line. Especially when we're tempted to self-preserve. Rather than trying to defend ourselves, we can be more like Jesus in those moments when we remain silent just as he did before his accusers and entrust the outcome to God. Along with our new hearts, we have a new barometer when it comes to what words we ought to say. 
If we have been given new hearts by the gospel through what Jesus has done, we have a new barometer of what to speak. In our country, this is really hard for us because we prize freedom of speech. But freedom of speech as a right is subjugated to the wisdom of God's word and to the authority of the Lord Jesus. We can legally say whatever we want, but what brings honor to God? What builds others up? This is the new criteria. This is the new barometer for our words when our heart has been changed by the gospel. What brings life? We can pray with the psalmist in Psalm 141. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Imagine what our world, what our church family could look like if this is how we considered the use of our words. Let's pray together.